0: Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to WGWG.org. My name is Stephanie Flores Fuentes. Welcome to Insert Subject Here, or ISH, as I like to call it. ISH is a segment in this radio that covers popular news subjects and takes a closer look at the data in regards to said subjects. Today, we will be talking about Hong Kong. So let's listen to some music before we get to the details. As of today, the Hong Kong protests have gone on for 16 weeks. As they stretch on, violence has escalated and more and more unrest grows among the citizens of the Asian island. But why exactly is this? To understand the Hong Kong protests, a bit of history lesson is in order. Hong Kong is a bit of a political anomaly. Although it is technically part of China, it hasn't operated under its rule for a long time. But I'm getting a bit too ahead of myself. Let's turn back to the 19th century, a time most noted in history books that were shoved at me for the Industrial Revolution, Romanticism, and Charles Darwin. Around this time, Britain became, shall we say, a little obsessed with tea? Yeah, let's just go with that. And China at the time was the only country that could really meet the customer demand for that product at the time. And side note, according from data from Statista, China is still one of the leading producers of tea in the world. In 2018, they produced over 364,000 tons of the stuff. Anyways, China traded tea, porcelain, and silk with Britain during this period, but China only accepted silver as payment from Britain, which was very common at the time for global trade. But as Britain continued dealing with China, There eventually came a time where they ran low on silver, and as a result, they needed to find an alternative way to get silver. So, thinking on their feet, they devised a plan. A very immoral plan. They began selling opium for silver under the table in certain areas in China, which was banned by Xia Jing, the fifth emperor of the Xing dynasty. Around this time, Britain had also taken some tea from China and planted it in India, but tea didn't really start being a mass-produced item there for many more years. So, as you would expect, this highly addictive drug is being sold by the British and people got addicted to it and needed to buy more. Eventually, Emperor Da Guang caught wind of what was happening and made strives to get rid of opium in China and also try to get Britain to stop trading the drug. At first, they tried the diplomatic way, by writing letters and trying to buy the opium from the British. But when that didn't work and merchants wouldn't turn over their opium stores, they decided to use force. China sent over ships to block the British from trading in their ports as well. Britain didn't like this and sent over their navy and defeated China on the seas. 1842 marked the end of the First Opium War. As a result, Britain opened up more foreign trade with China and took Hong Kong from them. At the time, Hong Kong wasn't very much to look at, but that would soon change. But before we get to that part of the story, let's pause and listen to some music. Welcome back, listeners. Now that we have got some of that background information out of the way, let's fast forward a bit. When Britain took Hong Kong from China, they agreed that Hong Kong would be Britain's for 99 years. From then on, Hong Kong became something else entirely under British rule. They began to grow in members due to many fleeing mainland China during the Chinese Civil War, which gave rise to communism on the mainland. But Hong Kong was a free market territory. Hong Kong became more and more Western due to British influence and then, In itself, it began to form a new culture. Hong Kong has their own passports, their own currency, which is the Hong Kong dollar, and in addition to all of this, Hong Kong's official languages are Chinese and English, and they mostly speak the Cantonese dialect of Chinese, which is different than the Mandarin that is common in the mainland. In HK, there is freedom of speech and religion, unlike in the mainland, and it is also home to a low tax policy, which is highly attractive to startups and companies looking to place a brick and mortar on a map in let's say a high rise. But as mentioned before, this agreement was only for 99 years and it came to a stumbling point in 1997, the handover. In 1984, British and Chinese leaders signed the Sino-British Joint Declaration. In this document, it was stated that Britain would hand Hong Kong back to China, but there would be a grace period for that that instated the One China, Two Systems policy. For 50 years, Hong Kong would remain a capitalistic area. In addition to this, the people would not have their speech rights, their voting rights, or any other freedoms taken away. And well, at first, China respected this treaty, but it was short-lived. China is trying to encroach on the island through multiple prongs, through education, through their politics, and they are even building a giant sea bridge to connect it to Macau. But large numbers of Hong Kongers are resistant to Chinese rule. After so many years without the influence of China, they became an entire different culture and their people have different values. All of this came to a boil over a murder case. In 2018, a Hong Kong straight couple vacationed in Taiwan. And there, the man killed his girlfriend. After the trip was up, he returned to Hong Kong, where he confessed to what he had done. The thing is, Hong Kong didn't have an extradition agreement with Taiwan, so they couldn't try him to the full extent of the murder charge in Hong Kong. As a result, the lawmaking body of Hong Kong, the Legislative Council, or Legco set forth a bill that would allow Hong Kongers to be put on trial in other countries. But most notably, it would also allow Hong Kongers to be tried in China, which is authoritarian and notorious for unfair sentences to any who oppose their communistic or nationalistic views. And Hong Kongers didn't take this sitting down. They took up their umbrellas, which have now become a symbol for their protests, and marched. In the beginning, most of these marches were peaceful, but that changed when police started getting violent with the citizens. It came to a boiling point on June 12th, when according to Channel News Asia, 150 canisters of tear gas and rubber bullets were used against citizens. There is also a case where a professor was shot in the eye by a rubberized bullet, proving that police were in fact also aiming for citizens' faces. Before June 12th, Hong Kong leader Carrie Lom would not budge in withdrawing the bill. Six days after this and other violent instances, Lam apologized twice, but the bill still wasn't withdrawn until July 9th. But by then, too much had happened. Protesters were getting arrested during peaceful marches. Innocent bystanders were beat by the police. Police also went undercover in these marches and beat protesters. And on July 1st, The day that marked the Hong Kong handover date from the British, protesters stormed LegCo. Now, protesters continue marching due to their five demands and according to The Guardian, they are as follows. They want a complete withdrawal of the extradition bill, which has already happened. They want their protests to stop being labeled as riots. They want for protesters who were arrested to be released and that their charges be dropped. They want an independent inquiry into police behavior. And finally, they want an implementation of genuine universal suffrage without influence from China. So there you have it. What's going on in Hong Kong is a complex issue of identity, culture, and values versus prior deals made by countries for the island. This has been Insert Subject Here. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at wgwg.org. My name is Stephanie Flores Fuentes. Thank you for listening.